0: Welcome back everybody to Conversion to Christ podcast where we dive into many different subjects about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we have an awesome episode lined up for you but before we do that each episode that we film and record goes up on Spotify, Spotify for podcasters, Apple Podcasts, and Facebook and YouTube. Let's get into this next episode. All right everybody welcome back to Conversion to Christ podcast. Today we have Fred Conlin. Is that your last name? Yep. Conlin. Um, I've I've known him for kind of a short time but an intimate short time. Um we he was my f- first counselor, right, in the yeah. bishopric for three weeks when I moved into my singles ward when I got home from my mission. Um, but I like f- literally like fell in love with the three people in the bishopric. The bishop um and the two counselors were just like so loving and so insanely cool. And I didn't to be honest with you guys, like I had a big turnoff about singles wards when I, before my mission um, because my parents served in the singles ward. And I remember I went a couple of times and I always remembered like the only talking to the girls, but they were like old, like probably 29, 30 year olds that would come talk to me and like low key, it felt like they were flirting with me. And I was always like, I'm about to go on a mission. I'm 18. So I, I didn't like singles wards at the beginning. Um, and I think that was just me being probably just a young judgmental, like, just Dude. being immature. Yeah, being immature, exactly. Because it, it probably wasn't that. They were probably just getting to know me because I was um, my parent's son attending their ward because they served in the ward, right? Yep. But then when I got back from my mission, I was like, I'm not going to do a singles ward. And I remember my bishop, he recommended me to go to the singles ward after like a month or two in the family ward. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. And so I don't know why I said yes, but I went to the, I missed. He So he actually referred me to, or like told me to go to the nine o'clock one hmm. and I missed it because I slept in. Yeah. So then I went to your guys' ward at 12 o'clock and no joke, like it was so spiritual. Like I was like, oh my gosh. Like as soon as I walked in, it was like so insanely amazing. And then just hearing the talks or some, I don't know what happened, but hearing just everything that happened that week, I was like, I I need to be here for sure.
1: Um, we're glad to have you. That's something that we always tried to to work on is that it wasn't uh it didn't matter where you were in your life, everyone is welcome yeah. there and focused on Jesus and and being real and raw, I think was our kind of catchphrase.
0: I know. I, I that's another thing I heard. I think I heard that like my first Sunday of like being real and raw. And then when the bishop asked me to give part of my conversion story, he was like, just be real. And I was like, dude, I'm like so real. Like that's like well, and I think that's what like resonated with me so much is because I'm so open about like anything I've been through and, and any past transgression that helped me to where I am today, like, I'm not crazy open about it where I
1: share everyone, but if someone's willing to listen and the Spirit's there, like, I'm very willing to share. Well, and I think more of us need to be that way. I think a lot of times when we go to church, we put a mask on and we pretend like everything is great when the reality is we're all broken yeah. to some extent. And not that we want to dwell on our own brokenness, but when we admit that we have faults, we have problems, we want to do that. I mean, we have a community of saints that want to come running, yeah and and help and lift and plus it helps us realize that we're not alone. I think one of Satan's biggest tools is to isolate us and make us feel like no one understands what I'm going through. Um the reality is this is a shared experience that we're all having called life. Yes. And we all are in this together. So it's nice when we can work together and realize, hey, they're going through the same thing I'm going through.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree.
0: And so then I, was, I remember I had an interview with the bishop, and he was like, oh, you should have um, Fred Conlon on your podcast. He's a convert to the church. And I was like, oh, cool. And so I think in the first ward council, I came up to him, I was like, when are you going to come on my podcast? And then he was like, anytime, let me know. And then um, we had a short little moment together just where we talked about Jesus Christ and our Savior and what he had done for both of us. And then I was like, he's coming on the podcast. Nice. Like,
1: Thanks for having me, Jackson. Of course. Yeah.
0: So... Usually on this podcast, we start with a topic that maybe the guest feels um, passionate about to talk about, and then we get into their conversion story, and Fred was talking about how he might want to talk a little about something he feels passionate about, so you kind of want to share what you were talking about? Yeah.
1: So, um, man, I guess I have a confession to make. When I first got called uh, to be in the singles ward, I thought, this is kind of like going to the island of misfit toys which is a horrible reference from <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm sorry I ever thought that because the reality is is that the, the single people, 18 to 30, are some of the best people I know um, as far as when it comes to finding your way and figuring out what you wanna do and what you believe. Um, so I'm pretty passionate about people being able to live their dream And what I mean by that is most of us, when we graduate high school, we have a plan. We'll call it plan a, um, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get a degree. I'm going to go work, whatever it is. Um, but you realize that high school and the experiences you had in high school tend to fade pretty quickly and hopefully are somewhat insignificant in the big scheme of things. So you go out and you do plan a, um, if plan a doesn't work out, we usually have a fallback, um, plan called plan B and that's what you kind of default to and like if i end up can't make it in college i'm gonna go work or if i can't work i'm gonna go live in my parents house or whatever you know um and then a lot of people well not a lot but some people have thought that through a little bit where they have plan c
0: mm-hmm.
1: plan c is your dream like if money were no object uh what is your passion what are you passionate about what do you think about when you're not thinking about anything else um And I would say that plan C is what you need to do right now. Now is your time to do plan C. Because when you're 18, um, you have very little to lose. Typically, you don't have a house payment. You don't have a car payment. You don't have kids. Your financial responsibility is very minimal. And so the older we get, the harder it is to take a calculated risk. So my story starts out with um, my parents saying, "Go to school, get a degree." Mm-hmm. I went to Iowa, of all places, um, mostly to play football. It was a little Division three school in Iowa. Cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's called Central College. Cool. Very generic, but it is um, in Pella, Iowa, which, by the way, is a Tulip Capital of the United States. So they claim. I've heard people in Washington. What does that mean? Like the that. like the flower the flower, the tulip. Okay. um, Very popular. This was a town that was, um, founded by Dutch settlers. And so they brought tulip bulbs with them and the big festival each year called tulip time. Anyways, that's awesome. (laughs) I I went there to play football. Um, and when I was there, uh, I ended up meeting some sister missionaries of all places. Mm -hmm. Um, to meet the Mormons in Iowa seemed really kind of counterintuitive to me. But, um, I, I went to school. I, I was taking a bunch of classes. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I started out in psychology, went to criminology, sociology, uh, thought I wanted to be a teacher for a while. I switched my major a bunch of different times, but each semester I always took a pottery class. Um, because I was passionate about it. So the first class I ever took was actually pottery making, jewelry making and bookbinding. Okay. And we made our own leather bound books in this class. We got to make, uh, I made a ring and fell in love with the clay and making pots. So um, every semester I always took a pottery class. And finally I got to the point where um, I'd been, I'm going to jump forward to, about five years got to the point where i've been going to school for five years and said look i just need to get out of here i've been i had transferred to the university of utah um i said i need to to stop going to school stop wasting my money so i sat down with a counselor and said look help me yeah (laughs) get me out of college they said well you have all these upper division pottery classes that's really weird like um (laughs) advanced kiln building yep advanced glaze techniques um I said, too bad you can't use all those upper division credits toward your degree. And I said, yeah, I know I have all these sign language classes, too, because I never felt like I was smart enough to learn a foreign language, okay. so I learned <laughs> sign language. Yeah. And um, they said, you know what? Why don't you go talk to the people in communications? Uh, because they have a program up there at the University of Utah where you can kind of write your own degree. I said, great, I'll, I'll go talk to them. Uh, sat down, they said, well, write a paper, convince us why we should accept all your pottery classes yeah. and your sign language classes towards a degree in communication. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's a no brainer because um, sign language communicates non-verbally. Okay. Right. I can, yeah. I can sign something and say, what do you, what do you think of when I go
0: Um, the, like a slide whistle or something? Okay. If I don't make it, <laughs> if I
1: don't make it, what if I go like this?
0: Like you can't breathe. <laughs> Or like your stomach's full. Yeah. Big. Yeah, yeah. 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 This yeah. would be skinny. So,
1: okay. So okay. Communicate okay. With gestures and facial expressions. Yeah. Non-verbally. Cool. Art is the same way. Pottery. Um, For so sure. Pottery communicates non-verbally as well. And so. Um, art has the ability to invoke emotion. Uh, to make us happy. To make us sad. Whenever we view something. Um to make us wonder, to inspire us. So I, I wrote this paper said, this is why nonverbal communication art has a power to do that. Sign language has a power to do that. Turned it into the professor and they looked at it and go, Oh, this is awesome. We'll take all of these credits and all of these credits. You know what? Take two more classes. You'll have a degree in public communication.
0: No way. That's awesome.
1: So that was the highlight of my college career was writing a paper justifying what I'd spent the last five years doing yeah. or not doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I just gotten married also my fifth year of college and so we went to graduation my wife looked at me and she goes well now what i'm like i don't have this awesome degree in communication yeah (laughs) um she said well isn't it your dream to open up a pottery shop yo and i said yeah it is actually and she goes well why don't we and i'm like because i'm afraid i'm gonna fail and she said Fred, look right now we have nothing. We have no house payment. We have no car payment. We have no kids. If we tried and failed, so what? Yeah. But if we tried and succeed, how awesome would that be? So, so what I'd put forth to your listeners is like right now, if you have no house payment no car payment, not, not a lot of obligations. Now is your time to try your dream. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. Check it off the box and move on. But if you try it and succeed, I mean, how awesome is that? It's pretty cool. That that's a good wife. Uh, she she was amazing. She said she said Fred, don't live with the what ifs. That's pretty cool. Don't live with the what ifs. So so, anyways, she encouraged us to to try that, and we had a little bit of money saved up, and we. Um, my grandma had left us. A couple thousand dollars and with that money um we went and i bought eight pottery wheels and cool. had, a, had a great business partner um as well Bought eight pottery wheels uh two thousand pounds of clay all of our glaze ingredients we built our own uh gas-fired kiln what uh, and with the last eight hundred dollars we signed our first month's lease on a little shop that was in sugar house yeah Utah, right across the street from the post office. So we decided to call it Sugar Post. No way. And we taught um, pottery class there uh, five nights a week. Um, Teaching pottery class paid for all of our overhead. And whatever we had left over is what we tried to live off of, whatever we sold out of the gallery. So things were lean for a really long time.
0: That's so cool. That's a cool story. I didn't know that about you at all. The only thing I knew about you is that, I mean – I think a lot of people know that you do those like cool sculptures that you make out of metal. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's really cool. Every time someone's like, who's your next podcast guy? I'm like, look at his art and I like show them, I think you have like a website that shows all of your yeah, art. Sure, so.
1: Sugarpost.com. Shows yeah. a bunch of
0: stuff. Oh, it's called that. Damn, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So this actually resonates with me too, because I had a friend call and he's like one of my best friends. He called me and he's like, so what are you like doing with your life? Are you like only podcasting? And like, I was like, well, like, I'm really trying to put a lot into this podcast because it's like my dream. Like, not not only is the podcast my dream, I just want to be, I want to somehow be a lifelong missionary in all that I do. And this is like my dream. Like, this is the most joy I ever feel is, is sharing the gospel. And like, just because I was so lost without it, like before I came back to God, like I was so aw- deep in sin and, and so miserable. Um yeah. And this is the only thing that has brought me happiness. And he was like, kind of, kind of in a sense, being like, "Are you like gonna go to college, are you gonna do anything with your life?" Kind of thing. And I was like, "Man, like, I'm just trying to like follow my dream. And if I'm not making crazy amount of money, I'm not really worried about that because I just." And he's like, "Are you gonna get a real job?" That's what he said. That was his words. He's like, "Are you gonna get a real job?" And I was like, "I was like, well." And I told him I was like, I'm actually gonna go to college in in like two months, so I'm just waiting for that and really putting it on the podcast. And he's like, okay, like at least you're going to college. And I was like, yeah, but I really, I really enjoyed that because I, I agree with it. Like I don't, I don't want to work like a nine to five. And this asks me, I don't want to work a nine to five job, and I don't want to do those sort of things that, you know, you're kind of just not happy with what you're doing, you're doing it just for money to support yourself. But I, I don't really care if I have money.
1: You know what I mean? There there's a lot of learning that takes place outside of a classroom and college isn't for everyone. Um the classroom's not for everyone. And there's a lot of different ways and means that you can make a living and be pretty happy. Yeah. If you're not, you know, grinding it all the time in the classroom. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we heard a little bit about your conversion story, just a little bit, because we heard a little about how you in there that you met the sister missionary during yeah, so college.
1: To, I need to reverse back to Iowa.
0: No, that's good. Yeah. Let's get into your conversion story. Yeah. So what, what's happening? So... Um, I and grew- also,
1: before you start, go into like a little bit how you grew up. Like, okay. were you religious yeah. or what's going yeah. on? So I grew up in a little town called Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Uh, both my parents were English teachers. And I was required to go to church um, at least once a week. Um, I grew up Catholic all my life.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. When I
1: was 12 or 13, um, Monsignor Barry came from Granby, Colorado, and kind of pointed to me and says that he needs to be an altar boy. So I uh, went through catechism. Um, I became an altar boy in the Catholic Church, and I think I really enjoyed that. I mean, I helped out with Mass um, each week. I'd carry crucifix up the aisle. I'd help the priest with communion. The water and the wine. Um, So did that growing up and it was, it was, I mean, I look back now, it was kind of easy back then. I had to one hour of church a week. I could, I could either go uh, (laughs) Saturday night at 530 or I could go Sunday morning at 8am or I could go Sunday night at 530. And you could
0: choose which one you wanted to go
1: to. We worked out the schedule when I was an altar boy and stuff, but yeah, one hour of church a week was great. Um, Anyways, in high school, I met a girl, um who was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She was the only member in Steamboat. She had just moved from Utah, and I um, thought she was cute. So yeah. <laughs> junior, senior year, uh, one of those. I When I first met her, her name was Emily, and I had heard all, all sorts of uh, crazy things about the Mormons. And so I asked Emily about it. I said, Emily, isn't it true that you guys have horns? No way. And she looked at me deadpan goes, we do. And I'm like, what? She goes, well, they're not like big pointy devil horns, but they're kind of like little nubs on the back of our head. She had long brunette hair and she goes, do you want to feel feel them? And I'm like, yeah. So I reached over and I started like feeling around the back of her head and she goes, do you feel them back there? And I said, no. Yeah. And she goes, do you feel anything? And I'm like, no. And she goes, not even a little bit stupid. (laughs)
0: no way she actually said that
1: oh yeah wow that was a good she was awesome dang okay um one of my favorite people we dated all through high school um when we graduated i went to iowa she went to rick's college they call it byu idaho now Mm -hmm. but um a week or so later um after i'd been out there i got this package in the mail from emily i'm like this is awesome what is it open it up and it was a book of mormon oh and in the i opened it up the front cover um said fred this is the best gift that i could ever give you it's worth more than money and power in the whole world and it's changed my life if you read it and pray it can change yours and i thought what the heck you know living away from home for the first time i was sort of curious about the religion and what it had to offer and so I started to open it up and kind of read it occasionally. Um, it wasn't long after that that some sister missionaries called me in my dorm room in Iowa, said, this is Sister Hall and Sister Turner. We're sister missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Would you like to meet with us and learn more about our church? And I'm like, what? You are yeah. not going to believe this because a, a girl I used to date actually sent me a book of Mormon in the mail. And they were like, Really? Well, to me, it was a miracle. Like, yeah. uh, God is definitely has his hand in this. Yeah. Um, later on, when I served a mission, I found out there's this thing called member referrals yeah. <laughs> that Emily probably referred the sister missionaries to me. But at the time, and even now, I, I still consider that to be a miracle. Yeah. But I think that's how miracles are. Um, for Jesus, it's easy. He he knows how to raise the debt. He knows how to heal the sick, just as Emily knew how to send a member referral. Yeah. Um. So f- for those of us who don't understand the all the workings of it, it's a miracle. But God, being I guess behind the scenes or in front of the scenes, it's easy for Him to orchestrate miracles because that's what He does, right? Yeah. Miracles. So um, I love that so much. So I started meeting with the sister missionaries. And um, they were the only members of the church, except for one other person in the whole town of Pella, Iowa. Those, uh, those, those sisters. Those two sisters yeah. and the woman they stayed with, whose name was Cynthia Carter. Cynthia was an older woman. The sisters lived um, in a room in her house um, upstairs. And so I'd walk three blocks from campus over and have the discussions with the sister missionaries. And, uh, after a while, um, the things that they were telling me, they seemed like they were almost too good to be true. And I thought, oh, this is one of two things. Either it's the biggest lie that mankind has ever made up or it's the truth. Yeah. And if it's the truth, then I felt like I owed it to myself to be a part of it. So, um, over the course of about eight months, I guess, um, Came to the point where I I realized that this was this was something I wanted to be a part of, and decided to be baptized, and um, was baptized March thirteenth of nineteen ninety two in Iowa. And so, so like, was there a turning
0: point where you were like, "This is this is true," like, or was it just a faith baptism where you are like, "All right, I'm gonna this feels right, I'm gonna see what." What's going to happen? There,
1: there are a couple, a couple different turning points, and I guess one of them was the first time I went to church. um, I drove Cynthia, the elderly woman that the sister stayed with. I drove her to church, and church was forty-five minutes away. Okay, it was in a place called Knoxville, or yeah, Knoxville, Iowa. And uh, Cynthia picked me up, and she says, "Do you mind driving?" I don't. I said, "Yeah." So I drove Cynthia to church, and it was a little teeny branch, and there were maybe. 30 people there and nobody, my age. Yeah. Nobody (laughs) like me at all. Yeah. But I've never felt so, so accepted and so welcomed as I did when I went to church for the first time. And it was, it's hard to walk through those doors for the first time, you know, it's a little intimidating. Yeah. Um, but I walked in and people are like, who are you? What are you doing here? You know, there's this (laughs) kid playing football in Iowa. Why did he come to our church? And, um, after going to church for a couple of months, I knew that um, whatever those people in Knoxville, Iowa had, I wanted it. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the turning points. The, the other one was the, the sister missionaries kept saying, pray about a date to be baptized, pray about a date to be baptized. I'm like, I've already been baptized in the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they talked about uh, proper authority and the priesthood. And um, so I remember we went to uh, Daytona Beach for spring break. Me and a bunch of the guys from the football team decided we were going to road trip from Iowa down to Florida. Cool, Daytona Beach. um, I told the sisters I was going down there and like, we don't think that's a good idea. I'm like, why not? This is going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, As a missionary, though, looking back, I can see there's a lot of concerns you might have. Um, Anyways, went there and I had been praying about a date. Um, we did water skiing on this lake in Jacksonville, Florida, most of the day. And in the afternoon, we, we put the boat away and we were kind of hanging out on this lake. We were getting ready to barbecue some food. I went away, um, from the rest of the guys and sat down on the water and the sun was kind of reflecting off the water. And I heard a voice. It wasn't my own voice, but I heard it in my mind and it said March 13th and I'm like, Wow, is that what I've been praying for this whole time? And I said, I don't I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like, what am I gonna tell my parents? I'm an only child. Yeah. I'm Catholic. What am I how am I gonna tell my parents that their only child is joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? The vo- I heard the date again, March thirteenth, and I said, What about all the guys on the football team? I'm telling them I'm not gonna go party with them anymore, I'm not gonna do all this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it said, you've been asking me for almost eight months now, um, March 13th. And so as soon as I accepted that, that feeling, that voice, um, it was like my whole life got put into perspective. And I realized that the type of life I was living was very sheltered. I had a little house and a little teeny room. And if I was hungry, I knew I could go to the kitchen I knew where the TV was, but that was my whole world. Yeah. And when I decided to be baptized, it was like someone came and knocked on the door of my house and said, Hey, come here. There's something I want to show you. And so I, I opened the door and walked outside. And the first time in my life I saw that there was green grass on the front lawn. I saw that there were trees. I heard the birds and I felt the sunshine on my face for the very first time. And, um, was baptized March 13th of 1993. Joe, that's crazy. Wow. That's
0: amazing. I have a couple of questions. So, one, going way back, did, did you really think that they had horns, that Mormons had horns back in the day?
1: I actually did. Um, growing up in Steamboat, a small town, and the first, um, the very first experience I ever had. With Mormons, were when some, I'm assuming they were elders. Some missionaries came and knocked on our door, yeah. and my friend was there, and he's like, "We gotta hide, dude!" And so we went and hid <laughs> behind the couch and pretended we weren't home. Yeah, they knocked on the door and left. But um, there were all sorts of rumors in the in the town of people having horns, but also multiple wives, and you know, a plethora of other um, rumors about the yeah. Mormons. Wow, that's crazy. And I don't know that I really believe they had horns, but I thought this would be funny to kind of needle this. Yeah, and see what for
0: she sure. Says. Dang, because I think I've heard that so much, and like especially on the mission. like or So I have I have a funny story, too. When I was playing college basketball, the other team in Virginia, all the other teams knew that we were an LDS school, Mormon school, right? And uh-huh. they would always in the layup lines because we're like both a half court, and you can kind of talk to each other at the sure. end of the line of... Um, basketball players, and like a lot of the people turned turn to me like, you guys are Mormons, right? And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, do you guys like... Like, the weirdest thing I was ever asked was, are you guys cannibals? And I was like, where did you get that from? Like, that's (laughs) crazy. I've never heard Uh that. Like, that blew my mind that they had asked us if we were cannibals. They said, do you guys eat babies? Like, you sacrifice babies. So, for some, some crazy rumor started in their school that, our school, that for some reason we Eight babies. Eight babies. It was super odd. So that's what I thought. I was like, I gotta ask him if they if he really thought that. Yeah. Two, I think, um one thing that really resonated with me too was when you talked about how like simple things can be miracles. I think sometimes people make fun of like I've seen comments on my own page saying like Oh, all the church leaders, all all you guys like make the littlest, most simplest things is like somehow miraculous and somehow they're miracles and you're just like making like nothing out of something, right? Yeah. And that I completely disagree with because there's been times in my life where it's been like the tiniest thing that to anyone else could be nothing. And to me, it completely changed my life forever. Yeah, um, And it doesn't have to be something f- m- like mythical or mysterious or something that like is out of like a a cre- like a book where it's like fire rains from the heavens and like that's a miracle. Yeah, it can literally be a word that you like. There was someone in church who was like, Fred Conlin said that you're you're supposed to be here, right? And to you, that's something you maybe nor- normally say in those meetings to tell these people you are supposed to be here. Like you're supposed to be here at church today. And for for you, it might be you don't know who you're affecting. You don't know anything that's happening, right, when you say that. But for them, it's like, that's when I knew. Like, that was an answer to my
1: prayer that yeah. I needed to be there, you know? Yeah, so so two two stories that that reminds me of. Um, one is I always used to, whenever I would conduct, I'd like to get up and say, uh, tell everyone, thanks for being here. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And, and that's true. And And, yeah, for someone who may have wavered, I mean, after you move out of your house or when you're 18 to 30, like no one's forcing you to go to church anymore. Mm -hmm. You're making your own decisions. And for someone to decide that they wanna go spend a couple hours in church, that's a big deal. I mean, there are not a lot of people who would decide to do that, but Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly where you are supposed to be. And regardless of where you're at, if you're, everyone is welcome. Um, I was to underscore that everyone has a place at the Lord's table. Everyone is welcome there. It doesn't matter where you are, or where you're at in life. Um, the other thing too, jumping back to kind of, um, eating babies and stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, uh, <laughs> so I've done art shows for the last 20 years. And one of the art shows we did was in Philadelphia. It was in the convention center. My wife and I would go out there and set up a booth and sell our stuff after five days of a of a wholesale art show, you get to know the people next to you pretty well. And there were some people next to us, um, some dear friends of ours, John and Deb Smith. Um, anyways, they said, hey, do you guys want to go to dinner? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go to dinner. So um, towards the end of the show, we decided to go out and eat dinner. And they knew that we were members of the church. But they every time it would kind of come up, they'd gently kind of skirt around it. And yeah, so... Uh over dinner, I kind of reached over and I grabbed my wife's leg and I said, gave her the look. And I said, <laughs> John, Deb, um, there's something that's really important to us that we want to tell you about. And Deb's eyes got huge. She's like, oh, no, this is happening, isn't it? And John was like gritting his teeth. I said, it's, it's changed our life. And we think that you could really benefit from it dead silence Deb was like slinking under the table and then I said have you ever heard of Amway? <laughs> so what's Amway by the, by the way by the way <laughs> the, the joke is lost on the younger generation Amway was a multi-level marketing <laughs> okay, okay okay program so like um, it's kind of like like the, DoTerra. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. okay so have you, I should have. you ever heard of DoTerra? Yeah, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> and they both like this audible exhale. Oh. <laughs> uh, Amway was a multi-level marketing where you sell like cleaning okay, detergents okay. and stuff. And <laughs> but so like, they are like, "Oh my gosh!" But it, using those kind of stereotypes to break the ice. Yeah. Like, of course, we're not going to talking about Amre, I'm not here to force religion down your throat. Like the most powerful example we have, the most powerful thing we can do is be an example. Yeah, And when people are ready, they can ask questions um, about different things. So anyways.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. No way. I love that because I think as missionaries, I think one thing we can, or let's see, one thing we can do better for our missionaries and helping them prepare them, but also mission leaders to help their missionaries is that they don't need to be salesmen or they don't need to be, they don't need to recite the same thing we've heard growing up. Like, you'll hear a lot of, um, in my opinion, I, I, on my on my mission, I heard a lot of responses to questions of, from the same missionary, the same sentence coming yeah. out of all their mouths. Yeah. Like, oh, wh- why do you guys believe in, like, I don't know, like... Just any question, and I would hear this the same similar response. Rather than like what they felt in their heart, like you know what? Like I don't know exactly why I believe that, or this is my understanding of it, and I believe because I felt this way. You know what I mean? I've never heard. Yeah, it's it's hard to hear that as missionaries sometimes to hear. Um, even the missionaries now that are are at my house who are are teaching some of my friends. Like sometimes I'm like, I wish they would just say what they know and what they feel, rather than any recited thing. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: Heavenly, heavenly Father doesn't want us to be a bunch of clones Mm -hmm. Um, if he did he would have made us all the same but he didn't he made us all unique individuals and it's important to be able to say things that come from the heart Um, in our own words and in our own feelings a lot of times I think um, you go to church and you hear the same sort of formalities there's nothing in the handbook that says it has to be the same thing all the time so mix it up a little bit and make it your own I always used to tell people it's like how do you make oatmeal interesting like, nobody wants to eat oatmeal, right? Because it's just like <laughs> bland. Yeah. But If you actually prepare your oatmeal and, like, I put crunchy peanut butter in my oatmeal, cool, chia seeds, some flax seeds, all these different things, yeah. and some honey on top, like, it it's actually becomes really interesting. And that's how the gospel should be. The gospel is not plain old boring oatmeal. It's yeah. so diverse and encompasses so much. And maybe we're going to focus on the chia seeds right now or the honey right now. Mm-hmm. It's not just bland old oatmeal. Dude, I love that
0: so much. I wish we could focus so much more. Like almost like a ded- dedicate and whole episode talking about what a real disciple of Jesus Christ is, and and it, that relates. I think not only talking about just being real, um, but that also relates to I believe why repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is not scary. I don't think. Also, there's a lot of like weird judgment or like weird like acting weird when someone has a weird past or like a past sins like for some reason in the church at least while growing up for me it was very like oh you're like oh like like for example like when people would go ministering they'd be like yeah we're just visiting people who we don't see at church and we'd like for them to come back it's like you don't say that to people who are like inactive you know what i mean like (laughs) all that stuff yeah yeah exactly and yeah i think one thing that i've learned from Going into sin and and being so far away from God is that when I hear other people going through that, the only the only thought I have is just like wow, like like I don't even think differently. I'm just like you're just human. Like yeah. we're here to have weaknesses, to realize our weaknesses, and so wow, I can't get through this on my own. I can't get through this for, through sure willpower. I have to rely on God. Yep. Right? We realize that, and then we realize also that wow we're here to sin and make mistakes and learn from those and stop them through the atonement of Jesus Christ like yeah. and so like to hold someone to a standard of perfection or to like try to act perfect in any way like any sort of that um if you're doing any of that it just doesn't make sense to the purpose of why we're here on earth yeah
1: it's uh it's important to find that balance because um a year after I was baptized, I decided that I wanted to serve a mission and I thought missionaries need to be the certain way. And when I first went out on my mission, I was like this little robot, Mm -hmm. you know, elder Conlon. beep, beep, beep. And I thought that that's how I needed to be. But the reality is I couldn't be just elder Conlon, but I couldn't be just Fred Conlon either. I needed to combine the best of both of those to become elder Fred Conlon. Yeah. And so it's so important to be ourselves. and, you know repentance is kind of a scary word, but I think President Nelson said it best. he said repentance means change mm-hmm. and change is a great word, yeah so if we if we go into it thinking like I need to repent, that sounds intimidating, but if we go into it and say, you know what I want to change, mm-hmm. that's so much easier, oh my gosh, one hundred percent
0: there's like there were times in in my spiritual journey and especially growing up where going to the bishop's office was scary and if you saw someone not taking the sacrament there was like oh why aren't they taking the sacrament or there were and and when it hit when it hit me that repentance was like one of the most amazing gifts given to us by heavenly father and that there shouldn't be any of this like why aren't they taking the sacrament why aren't they going to the bishop like why are they going to the bishop or like even my own parents were like why are you having a meeting with the bishop and i'd be like So like for that, realizing like, oh my gosh, like this is a gift. This is a good thing. Like when you're like, I need to repent. It's like you're becoming more like Jesus Christ. You're changing. So that was big for me. And I think for anyone listening, that's big for you too, because that's what a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I've met people outside of the church who are, oh my gosh, insanely true disciples. Um, And even though they aren't, a part of our exact church. They've taught me so much about what a true disciple is. And because they know so much about the Bible and they know so much about Jesus Christ, learning from them about what true repentance is and what like no judgment is really like blew blew my mind. You
1: know what I mean? And that judgment is that judgment is a big thing. I didn't um, realize that until my kids grew a little older. So I'll use my oldest daughter as an example. I used to say, Oh, I love my kids unconditionally, absolutely, Mm -hmm. unconditionally. They're my kids. Yeah. But then I realized when my oldest daughter started to make some decisions that I didn't necessarily agree with, that my love became very conditional. That if she was doing what I thought she should be doing, I loved her. But when she was doing things that I didn't approve of, I almost withheld that. And that's something I needed to change. So it... um, there was a point um, in our relationship when she was I think 17 and we told her that if you can't live by the rules of the house, you need to leave. And she looked me straight in the eye and she said, see you later. And she left. And, uh, I remember talking with one of my friends telling him how upset I was about it. And he goes, "Conlan, knock it off. Quit making this about you. I'm like about me. What do you mean? He goes, you're making this all about you he said your daughter is almost 18 years old. She's an adult. She can decide to do what she wants to do. Like he wasn't a member of the church, but the the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts we've ever had is the gift of free agency, the ability to choose and heavenly father certainly doesn't withhold his love from us when we do things that he thinks we shouldn't do. In fact, he loves us even more. And it was when I stopped, um, judging, and withholding that I realized, um, my job with my oldest daughter is just to love her. Yeah. That's my job to love her. Regardless of what she's doing, my job is to love her. And I did, um, ironically enough, when I was, um, set apart to be in the bishopric of the young single adults, my oldest daughter decided, well, I'm going to come back and see what it's all about. At least nothing else. I'll be there for my dad for yeah. a Sunday, and she came there and she ended up meeting um, a group of people that were very similar to what she, who she is, yeah. and made some really good friends. Started coming to church, um, went in and met with Bishop Wilson and started that change process of wow. changing on her own, not because it's something I wanted her to do, but because she wanted to do it. Yeah. So anyone who's out there who has um, someone that they care about, who's not doing what you think they should, you got to knock it off. Um, your job is to love them regardless of where they're at to be a true disciple. Um, Jesus' job is to save. That's what he does. Um, our job is to love. Heavenly father loves us all unconditionally. And so, When you get to that point where you can love them, they realize that it's okay um, that they have a safe place regardless of the life they're living. There's no judgment from you. There's only support and there's only love. And then that allows them enough space to maneuver. A lot of times we like to paint people into a corner. Yeah. And when we paint people into a corner, they have two choices. One, they can walk across that paint or two, they come out swinging. So if we don't paint them into a corner, but leave them enough room to figure it out, they usually figure it out themselves. And guess what? They end up painting the rest of the floor and walking out and painting behind them. And it's a perfect floor. Yeah. Dude,
0: like I'm not going to go too in detail, but like one thing I can always rely on is that no matter how no matter what the circumstances, no matter how far away or close I am or wherever I am in my life t- with my relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what, God always provides miracles. Like, all, every time. Um, even And especially when you don't think they're coming. They, they always come and you just realize, God does love me. And then when you think He doesn't, He reminds you again that He does. And I, I won't, like I said, I won't go too much in detail, but lately for me, like, life has been pretty tough. And, like, this this relates, I don't know, what we've been talking about just relates with me so much. Um, Especially because I feel like there's been people in my life who, like, who have only wanted to be with me or or love me if I had done good things or or followed the gospel. And and when I didn't, um, I didn't feel that at all. You know what I mean? And I think that just really... Really helped me, um, it was an answer to my prayer, I think, because I, I was just and this morning too, like even to those listening to you right now like i was I was pretty down, and um I just had just this past couple of weeks have really been hard, and so that was really cool, it was really special to hear that, but I also want to um get back to after your baptism going going to your conversion story as well, after your baptism. How has it been? I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah. Not crazy long, you're not that old, yeah. but um it, it's been quite a while. And so we're we're oh also I want to ask you this before we get into that. Was there a time where you felt Satan working on you either before your baptism or after? Because in all of my experience when either interviewing interviewing people about their conversion stories or especially on my mission where I saw Satan working on people because they, he knew it was the most important decision they would ever make yeah. to, to be in the true, the true church of Jesus Christ on earth. Yeah. And so, and, and usually what happens is it's either before their baptism or soon after, um, of course he's going to work on us no matter what, but especially the big, like trying to stop, were there times you felt Satan either before or after?
1: Yeah. Um, before I answer that, um, I'm, I feel for you that you're having a bad time. Life is supposed to be hard, but we're also supposed to have questions. In fact, our whole religion was founded on a question that a young person had that he didn't know. So the fact that you're there and experiencing hard things tells me that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Yeah. So yes, Satan does work on you. If if there is good out there, there's also bad out there. Mm -hmm. It has to be. We know there's an opposition in all things. Um, yeah, I think right before I made that decision to be baptized, I went to Daytona beach, uh, one of the biggest party towns for spring break that there is <laughs> yeah. in the U S and the sisters were very concerned. And I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, yeah. all of that stuff, um, prevalent. And that influence was definitely there. Luckily, well, not luckily, I was able to take some quiet time and some me time to plug in with nature, um, to plug in with Heavenly Father. And that's when I received my answer. After I was baptized, though all those temptations were kind of amplified. Like um I remember, well, I remember telling the guys in the football team, I'm like, hey, I decided that I'm gonna be baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. I'm like, what? <laughs> and so, you know, do you have horns are you gonna grow horns? Are you gonna eat babies? All that stuff comes up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For <laughs> and, sure. And so you just kind of roll with it. But um they were like, "Wait, so you're not going to come drinking with us anymore?" I'm like, "No, I'm not. Um, it's not going to be a thing for me anymore. I still want to hang out with you guys." And uh, boy, the the place kicker, his name was Ed Maroon, and man, he just was letting me have it. I'm like, "One, you're the kicker on the football team. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> two, come on, stop why are yeah two why are you why are you doing this?" And uh, so I invited some other uh, some other friends to the baptism, other football players, and. Didn't invite Ed because he gave me such a bad time about it. I'm like, the dude obviously wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. The night before my baptism, he came and knocked on my dorm room, and he was like all contrite and kind of sad. He's like, you're, you're, you're getting baptized tomorrow. I said, yeah. He goes, you invited Darren and Terry and all these guys, but not me. And I said, Ed, like you, you've been a total jerk. Why would I? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'd really like to come. I said, well, of course you can come. So he he came, um, I'm not sure why I'm talking about this, but at, at my baptism, there were a bunch of football players there in this little teeny branch. There were a couple members of the church. Uh, <laughs> the branch president was there. Um, he told me this later because I didn't, I was kind of having my own experience, but when I was baptized and came up out of the water, all the football players started going, yeah, <laughs> woo, cheering and stuff. And he, he was like, looked at his first counselor and was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's so, awesome so I started clapping but um no shortly after that i think <laughs> that's awesome uh, a, a month later i decided i wanted to get my patriarchal blessing mm-hmm. um the guy who baptized me his name was carl he was uh at the va hospital there in knoxville but he was baptized a month before and another guy named mike who was baptized before him and so the three of us we it was our job to blessing past sacrament each week. That's awesome. And it was just so cool. But, um, I, I went, and got, uh, my patriarchal blessing and uh, talked a lot about tithing in there. So of course, in my mind, I'm like, well, is that all the church wants me for is my tithing. Yeah. Me who didn't really, I mean, had a part-time job in college like that. My tithing is not going to make a hill of beans. Yeah. There's no difference to the church, but, um, Uh, doubts start to creep in and all this stuff. But, um, thankfully I, am like, well, I'm going to put it to the test. I don't make a whole lot, but I'm going to pay my tithing. And especially, so there was a, a point in my life where, um, I had graduated from college. I'd just gotten married. Um, we started a small business all within a year's time period. And man, life was so hard it was so lean back then. Like we, we didn't have much of anything, but we always paid our tithing. Yeah. And I've seen the windows of heaven open up and a blessing has continually been poured out upon me and my family. We don't have enough room to receive it. We have more than we deserve so much to give and share that we feel like isn't even ours. Yeah. Um, our house that we live in. Now we have no business living in a house like that, but it's not our house. It's in essence, your house. Yeah. It's everyone's house. Everyone is always welcome there. So um, paying tithing is a, is a big deal. Um, that's one thing I can say I've always done, always been a full tithe payer and have been blessed because of it. That's amazing.
0: Didn't you love president Nelson's story that you shared in the last general conference where he was like, he was making $15 a month. <laughs> um, as an intern, and his wife was like, are you paying tithing? And he was like, no. And then... I repented immediately. Yeah. I to pay it. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I, the coolest part to me was when he said, like... I, I thought this was so, for some reason, profound when he was like, did me paying a dollar fifty a month change the church in any way? And he was like, of course not. And, like, I don't know. I didn't expect... For one, I didn't expect the prophet of the church to say, like, I wasn't paying my tithing. And my wife kind of chastised me. Like, that's kind of cool to hear. And just so raw and real from a prophet, right? Then two, him saying that, well, for one, that he was like, like you said, the heavens just opened for him. And he got even emotional talking about it. But two, he was like, it really didn't make a difference. And tithing is not about money. It's about being faithful, right? It's about doing it because you love God, not because you do it for some like, um, you follow a law and then you get a blessing, right? Yeah. You do it because you love
1: God. And I thought that was so profound. That was like, awesome. And it's neat to see the human side of of our church leaders because they're, they're men and women trying to make their way just like we are. Yeah. And uh, I think once we realize that we're all human, um, we're all having this shared experience. No one is truly alone. Like I said earlier, Satan wants to isolate us and make us feel like we're the only ones who... Are going through this but you're not you're not the only one going through it there's we're all here with you and as soon as i think the church has kind of a unique environment um i remember back in the days of home teaching like you'd go and home teach you'd have a, a prayer you'd leave a spiritual thought the last thing you'd say is there anything we can do for you I'm like nope we're good I'm like <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know it, these kind of these phrases and stuff sometimes if we if we do away with those and we just see a need and we just start to do it. Um, it's much more powerful, but when we take off our mask, when we go to church and not that we want to go and confess our sins publicly, but when we let other people know that life is hard and I'm going through a hard time, like all of a sudden you have all these people who want to rally, they want to help and serve and lift. And if we never have that degree of transparency, if we never let on that we're hurting inside, how could anyone ever help us? Yeah. And I think that's part of what it means to confess or to come to Jesus. We let Jesus know that we're hurting inside. Yeah. He knows, anyways, but sometimes we just need to verbalize that.
0: Oh, to, right. To develop a relationship, especially, right? E- exactly. If you don't talk to anyone, you can't develop a relationship, right? Exactly. I think when leaders do even become vulnerable and show their side, I mean, on this podcast, I've said so many times that I believe suffering is a blessing. I wouldn't be here without suffering. And I don't think life is all about only experience happiness. Like there was comments on my one of my videos that was like, oh, so we have to pay tithing to feel true happiness. And I was like, that has nothing to really, in my opinion, that has nothing to do with paying tithing. Um, I think there there are so many just just feeling happiness is not in my opinion, the only reason that we do all these things to follow God, I think you can embrace suffering and learn from it and feel true happiness in that suffering. It, it's, it's hard to explain. I can't really get my thoughts out completely, but I, I just believe suffering is a good thing. And I think the, the most amazing person in the entire world, Jesus Christ suffered everything. And I think like what elder Holland says, he says, like, we all have to go through our own little garden of Gethsemane to become like the savior um and this is basically a roundabout thought, but what I was getting to what really like has touched me was when especially I can remember a time when when Elder Hahn was giving a talk about um depression and mental illness, and he was talking about how he had gone through it, and he had people that were there for him, and he got so emotional talking about um how he had felt for other people going through that because sometimes it's we can't control it, he was talking about about how sometimes it's just um, something that we go through and it doesn't go away. And I think all of these leaders who have suffered a lot um, can touch so many people yeah. um, and can actually grow closer to Jesus Christ because they were able to go through their own little garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, um, And I don't think it's all about just being happy all the time.
1: No, it's not. I mean, let's not forget that the whole reason we're here is to learn. Mm-hmm to eventually return to heavenly father. And if we, um, if we weren't supposed to experience life to its fullest, including pain and sorrow and happiness and joy, all those things, then what would be the whole point? Yeah. It's supposed to happen that way. So if you're going through a hard time, um, and if you have doubts and you have questions and I'd say you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now.
0: There, there is, there is something that the, maybe evangelical Christian world has something right that I can totally stand by that I feel like we need to learn from them is that they, they have this idea of accepting the Savior, you're good, you're good to go, and He's taking care of everything. And I think if we, if we found a medium in between that, between, yes, we have to try every single day to repent, change, become like our Savior, but also knowing completely that without Him, it is, we're, we're nothing like with, without Jesus Christ, we're devils, right? It says in the book of Mormon, we are, we're, we're nothing without Jesus Christ. And I think if we found that middle ground of that, we do have to, like, I think in our church, sometimes it's transactional, if that makes some sense. Sometimes it's, we follow it because we ought to, it's like a duty. Like we we're like, oh, we should follow the commandments. But it's like, sometimes I feel like, the evangelical side of you of like, well, if you accept Jesus Christ, you naturally want to do those things. And, but that doesn't save you. And so I, I wish we found that middle ground where it's like, if we accept Jesus Christ in the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and we have that kind of relationship with Him one-on-one, we naturally want to become like him and follow the commandments instead of we're in the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And what is required of us is to do these certain commandments. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's, I, at least I learned a lot in my mission. I thought, wow, like if we just found the middle ground of like, they are right. Like if we accept Jesus Christ in our heart, if we truly accept him, not just say we accept him, but if we truly accept him, we naturally will want to follow all the things he wants us to do because we love him so much and we find joy in following him. Absolutely. Um, so I, I just loved what we were talking about, especially yeah. with the, I just like, I also want to clarify, I love all my... Christian brothers and sisters who are not a part of our church, and and we have a lot of people who listen to this uh-huh. um, who aren't a part of the church. And I've learned so much from you, um, even though we may see differences about what exactly we believe. But I do believe we all the number one more the number one most important thing is your relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think it's that you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints because there are people in our church and outside of our church who have amazing relationships with Jesus Christ and those who are in our church and outside of our church who don't. Um, and I, that's why I think number one is having your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then from there, let's try to find the place that we can best grow that. Yeah. Right? And we yeah. believe, obviously, it's, it's here in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day
1: Saints. And I've, uh, I, I guess one other thing I'd like to say about the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. In, in my mind, just so I could better understand it, I've kind of simplified what their jobs are and the holy spirit's job which he does very well is to testify to teach enlighten comfort all those things whenever there is truth spoken the holy the holy spirit testifies he says yes this is true and that feeling comes um over everyone at a different time but when you when you feel the holy spirit when i first started to feel it when i was back in iowa It was a very physical feeling, like kind of like chills or goosebumps. Whenever Mm -hmm. there would be truth spoken, I'm like, whoa, this is the spirit. And um, over the last 30 years, it it changes from time to time. Sometimes it's still that way, but other times it's just a peaceful feeling. It's a happy feeling. Um, But I love it when it's that physical, like spirit, you know, that that burning, so to speak. Um, So the spirit's job is to testify of truth, Jesus' job is to save. That's what he does. He saves. We know that everyone who's born on this earth will be resurrected because of Jesus. He saved us from physical death. Yeah. To save us from spiritual death, we need to partner with him. We need to change as well to overcome spiritual death.
0: Isn't that such a, I'm going to interrupt for two seconds. Isn't yeah. that just such a dynamite doctrine? That, that that everyone, because the Christians are right. Everyone is saved if you accept Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like if you just accept him, you're you're saved. I mean, resurrected. In, boom. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's so mind blowing to say. And then if you choose <clears throat> to make covenants with him and try your best to become like him, you have the chance to be exalted. Right, saved and then exalted. And yeah. I just think, jeesh, like. Plan of salvation is the most dynamite doctrine I, you could come up with. Yeah. Like it's not, it couldn't be from a dude. Like that's crazy. <laughs> like that blows my mind every day. I think about it. I'm like, good. you cannot. Probably like what you're when you were hearing the missionaries. You're like, this is too good to be true. Too like be what? True. Okay, keep going. Super what's good. the
1: what's the third? Uh, Heavenly Father's job. He loves us. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that unconditionally. So the Holy Spirit teaches, testifies, Jesus saves. Heavenly Father loves and just uh, sim- simplistic in that way. So I can understand it, but he loves us unconditionally regardless of what we are doing or what he thinks we should do. He loves us period. Yeah. That's amazing. Dude. I love this.
0: Okay. So I want to get into the last couple of things. Um, especially I want to talk about how it's been as a member. If you could explain how it's been in the last, I don't know, 20 something years. Yeah. Um, and if there's been ups and downs, if there's been, you know, trials of your faith or if, especially, I mean, even your mission, like how was that? Yeah. And were there times where, cause like for me, in my, I, for my example, on my mission, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot deny any of this whatsoever. Yeah. Like, and I think before I had faith building up where I was like, ah, this, this, this feels true. This feels pretty good. This feels true. Were there times where you were like, there, I cannot deny this. This is, and and then also obviously knowing you, you're a disciple. I, I feel it. I've seen it. Um, you want to share the gospel. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I have to ask those people because I've been through it, right? It's like, when were you like, I can't deny this. And because I know what I know, I have to share it i have to be a disciple when when did you experience that do you think
1: um okay so a year after i was baptized um well actually like after i got my patriarchal blessing a month or so after i was baptized i remember hearing this thing that um all young men in the church are kind of encouraged or required to go on a mission and i went in and sat down with the branch president president audison in iowa and i said john what's this Thing about going on a mission. Yeah, he, he kind of laughed. He goes, "Fred, you know what? No one would ever expect you to go on a mission. You just joined the church. Do me a favor. Don't don't even think about it." Yeah, I'm like, okay.
0: He didn't so, want to overwhelm you, probably.
1: Like, so he said, "Don't think about it." So, so what do you think I did? Yeah, thought about <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> started started to obsess about it. Yeah, I'm like, I went home from church. and I'm like, man, go on a mission. Like, well, yeah. Like, and and over the next month like a, kind of obsessed about it trying not to think about it yeah um and, <laughs> yeah. I, and i got to the point where i'm like you know what if i could share just a fraction of the happiness that i felt with one other person then two years would be totally worth it totally worth it yeah so um a year after i was baptized i received the melchizedek priesthood a year after that i went on a mission in 1994 um, and got called to serve in North Carolina. Um, I remember when I, I got my mission call, uh, there wasn't any fanfare. I was up at the university. I, so after I joined the church, I'm like, I need to go to Zion. I need to see what it's like to live yeah. <laughs> in Zion. And so I transferred and actually I also wanted to be someplace a little bit closer to home, but not too close. The winters in the Midwest are brutal. Yeah. I was used to growing up in a ski town where, you know, tons of snow, there's pine trees all around and the sun comes out and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, So I transferred to the university of Utah, but ended up being roommates with one of my childhood friends. We always talked about being roommates together. That's awesome. Um, when I got my mission call, um, it was just me sitting in my car and opened it up by myself, just pulled over the side of the road. I picked it up from the post office and pulled over the side of the road and opened it and said, you've been called to, labor in North Carolina and I'm like, it just felt right. You know, it felt yeah. so good. Um, so against my parents' wishes, they said, Oh, I need to mention that too. One of the hardest phone calls I ever made was to my mom, um, to tell her I was joining the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There was this long pause on the phone. And then she said, Fred, if that's what you feel you need to do, then me and your father support you. We still love you. And they were both converts to the Catholic Church. My mom grew up Lutheran, my dad grew up Protestant, they both converted to Catholicism Whoa. in Steamboat. Okay. Um so they were they were actually really cool about it. Anyways, um oh,
0: The that's wait, real quick before you continue. That's crazy. I've never heard in my opinion, I've never heard conversion to Catholicism. Is I've that's pretty rare for me to hear that because usually it's in my opinion, a lot of Catholic people either convert to other religions or Catholic is a very traditional church. Yeah. Like on my mission, every Catholic person I've ever talked to and the Catholic people that have come on this show, the reason they're Catholic is because for generations their family has been Catholic.
1: Well, if you think about it, Jackson, there's only two Christian religions that claim divine authority.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: One is the Catholic Church. The other is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints claiming divine authority from God. Mm-hmm. So I figured I better cover all bases and be baptized in both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: a good idea. I should go try real quick to the Catholic church. Well, I guess I can't if I wanted to. No, sorry, pal. Yeah. You have to do it first and then later.
1: So, uh, you have the lucky. All right. Keep going though. Uh, going on a mission. Um, what an awesome experience that was. Um, super hard. I had, I was dating a girl in Utah that I, I pined over and wasted about six months of my mission, like missing her, Yeah being sad for her, like, anyway, she ended up getting married, which was great. Um, my 21st twenty first birthday, um, I was out knocking on doors in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And my companion that I was with, I just looked at him, I go, you know what, man, somehow this isn't what I thought my 21st birthday would be like. He's like, Elder, what do you mean? I go, <laughs> mm, don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And, and he wasn't a convert, right? No, he, Just, he grew up in church that's his life. That's
1: so funny. But going out there and <laughs> being a missionary, I'll tell you what, everything that I have now, business, house, all this stuff, I would give it up in a heartbeat if I could go back and be a full-time missionary. Because as a full-time missionary, one focus, Jesus Christ. One focus, serving, loving, teaching, bringing others inviting others to partake of the fruit man and there is nothing like it dude
0: it's crazy <laughs> man it's 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 the happiest i've ever been in my entire life absolutely bringing bring others closer to jesus christ just is some it's it's what they were doing in the in new testament when when jesus christ called his apostles and those below him, the 70 and go send yeah. them out to go preach man they were like they were the
1: guys yeah. like So, uh, so I guess I'm here to tell you that there, there can be another time for you. That's that you feel that same kind of joy. Um, I want to talk real quickly about decisions that I made, uh, that were. Changed my trajectory. One was my decision to be baptized. Two was my decision to serve a full-time mission. Three was my decision to marry my best friend. And four was the decision to start a small business those four decisions change everything. Um, single people, when you're single, you're like, am I ever going to find someone? Am I ever going to do that? When will I find the one we need to be really careful about thinking about the one? Because to be honest with you, there's lots of potential marriage partners out there. All of them could be fantastic. Just not at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like the traditional LDS. No, I'm joking. So, um, <laughs> the the best advice I have for that is, uh, well, the best thing I did was I married my best friend. Um, someone that you want to that you love being around, that you can talk with. You're also physically attracted to them, but you're also mentally attracted, emotionally attracted, All these things. Yeah. Um, you marry your best friends. Best friends make the best marriages. And starting a family, um, man, that's crazy. I've been an artist for 20 years and I've made a lot of really cool things. Um, but the best thing that I've ever made taken part in making is our kids. Yeah. Like, uh, that's another one of those great gifts, um, that goes right up there with the atonement free agency, um, the power of creation, the power of procreation. And I never understood it until I actually took part in that, that unison becoming one with someone else and making a kid. Yeah. What an awesome gift. So you will find joy, but it will be a lot like your mission. It'll be really hard. And you'll be like, what, why am I the screaming baby? I don't get it. Like (laughs) (laughs) it'll be hard, but it will be, it will bring you joy as well.
0: Yeah i love dude, starting that's, a family
1: that's awesome
0: yeah i it's it's cool in in our stages of life of discipleship it's it's so cool how it's planned because you know at first for a little bit it was hard to give up the mission because it's like wow that was the i mean especially anyone listening who knows my story that changed yeah, my did life for three years yeah it changed my life forever <laughs> like n- no joke um nothing has even come close to what my mission did for me yeah um but then letting that go and realizing learning how to i mean these four months at home have taught me so much about choosing to be a disciple by myself because i on the mission it was pretty ordered it was pretty easy to choose jesus in my Mm -hmm. opinion it was a lot easier to say i need to get up and go to the lord's work because that's what we do as missionaries you know what i mean that's that's what we do and Coming home, I think that's why a lot of we have what? One in every two go inactive from their missions when they get home. And two, you you have to wake up every single day and choose to have daily conversion, to go to church, to read your scriptures, to do the small things you learned on your mission, or just growing up for those who didn't serve missions. When you get out of the house, you have to learn all this by yourself. And it's taught it's it's taught me so much it's like a new type of conversion what i what i'm getting to is that how you were saying there's like next steps in your life where you're feeling just as much joy and happiness i think it's so cool how it's set up where especially those who serve missions you're on a mission you get home to learn how to have daily conversion next you have a different part of the plan of salvation where you're you're searching for eternal companion which is crazy right we're yeah. gonna be with someone for the rest of our lives and then that When you get married and sealed to each other, that's a next step of like this big part of being a disciple, right? And then creating a family is even a bigger part of being a disciple because you're creating an eternal family. You're teaching them to be disciples. It's so cool. Like the whole,
1: the whole process is crazy. And just remember all of those stages center around a covenant that we make, the decision to be baptized, the decision to go on a mission, which is actually the decision to go through the temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. the decision to be married, the covenant of marriage, all of those things are based on covenants or steps that bring us more goodness, more joy, more light. I mean, more. Yeah, so cool. It's it's
0: crazy when you also realize too that all these covenants that God wants us to make with him and all these things that God, he gives us this blueprint to follow because he says, here's the thing, this is what has made me, who I am today, this is what has made me the happiest I've ever been. And I want to give it to you because I love you. And there's two sides of it. There's someone who says, look at all these rules God gives us. Look at this God who's ruling over us, who's like, he wants, he's a jealous God. He's the one who wants us to follow him. Or if he's not, he's going to punish us. But then when you finally realize like, oh my gosh, like he's just like a dude I'm talking to face to face, who's just is a loving father, who's is also a a man, right? And he's, he loves us so much. And he is like, I wish I could do it for you, but I know that I can't do it for you. And I'm giving you every tool to feel and become someone who who you'd never thought you could become. Yeah.
1: I think that's crazy. So like, so that's the whole thing with the, the whole plan of salvation and understanding. I love how God gives us parables or um, little examples of things to come. I remember... In elementary school, you got a, we'd get a shoebox and we'd make a little diorama and it would be a, a little story of the bigger picture. Yeah. And so God <clears throat> gives those to us here. Like the story of the bigger picture is having our own family, understanding what it's like to have children, to love them, to see them go astray, to see them come back. Like all of that stuff helps us understand yeah, who man. Heavenly Father is. You know? It all it all relates. So cool. It's crazy, man. I think
0: going through this life and realizing these things, these eternal truths is just like, it's it's like what I search for, dude. It's like yeah. so amazing. When you, when you just like those hit you where you're like, oh my gosh, like this has nothing to do with money. This has nothing to do with coffee. Yeah. Like there might be studies about if coffee is bad or not or there might be studies about why tea is good or bad. But like when you learn the eternal perspective of like, the The substance of tea has nothing to do with like yeah. why we're following it. Like God's not like it's funny because he created tea. He created these plants, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, just just follow it because it's bad for your physical health. It's like that could be very true. that could be one of the benefits, but in God's eternal truth, it's you follow him because you love him, you've gained testimony of his of his son Jesus Christ, and he's changing you daily. And you have no concern about these lower laws that have nothing to do with you becoming a god or goddess through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Like, it's crazy how, like, there's such a big picture um, that I think a lot of people miss. And when you realize those things, you're like, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Good feeling, for sure. Okay. So, before we end, um, I want you to give your advice to someone who may be going through a similar situation as you, who, you know, maybe deciding if, if the church is true or not, if God is even real, uh, maybe someone who's in the Catholic faith who is maybe trying to figure out if their faith is real. What would you say to someone who's going through something? And then if you have other advice, please throw
1: it in. Yeah, um, Three things. One, I would say that miracles can happen. Um. I talked about the miracle of the Book of Mormon and the sister missionaries. A more recent one um was in 2020, the start of COVID and the world shut down, and the one thing I had was running and was a big runner. Um one day I woke up, I walked down to the bottom of my drive and I had this horribly sharp pain in my left leg pain I've never felt before. Um so much that I couldn't even stand upright. It hurt so Whoa. bad. And, um, kind of sat down for a while and like tried to tried to took my breath away, literally come to find out after, um, being shuttled in the back of a van, um, to the hospital that they did an MRI and it was actually a synovial cyst that had formed on my L4 L5 on my spine, on my facet joint. And, uh, an old football injury coupled with repetitive, um, jarring of running and everything. The cyst had, had grown enough to where it was pushing right on my sciatic nerve and literally spent, um, days just laying in bed. I would get up and crawl to go to the bathroom. I couldn't stand upright cause it hurt too much. Oh, and, um, This was right about the time that i in fact when i got set apart to be in the ysa bishopric i was laying on my bed
0: oh my god they came in there
1: and set me apart to be the first counselor in the bishopric. wow um found a doctor who uh would go in and rupture the cyst so they went under um it wasn't an x-ray under ultrasound uh, went into the hospital i got wheeled into a wheelchair in the hospital this was about a week later before they could get me in, um, wheeled me into the hospital. I remember looking at the little black and white screen. They uh, had a needle that went in through my spine into the cyst, saw it fill with dye and it swelled up like a balloon and burst. What? And as soon as that that cyst burst, I literally felt like I had touched the hem of Jesus because the pain was instantly gone. And I could walk without pain. So I went into the hospital in a wheelchair. I walked out um, on my own two feet. Um, the doctor said the problem with rupturing these cysts: sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they just grow back. Yeah. And three weeks later, I was faced with that same dilemma. Like the miracle I had, I'm like, "Oh, this is such a miracle!" And then, it, and it happened again. It grew back. It grew back. Whoa. So. I went in and had it ruptured again. Again, it felt like I had touched the hem of Jesus and I was healed. Yeah. And, um, four or five weeks later, it grew back and would continue (laughs) to do that for over the course of about a year where I dealt with that, um, super intense sciatic pain. When that cyst would grow going in, I found another doctor. So I didn't have to go to the hospital each time, but a doctor would go in under the ultrasound and, I have a video, literally of that thing growing up and, and bursting back. Oh, okay. I can move again. Yeah. Um, Jeez. finally after that sustained rupturing of the cyst for about a year, I met with some different specialists and they said the only way to prevent this cyst from growing back is to have a spinal fusion and a spinal fusion is where they actually go in and they remove the disc, um, between your vertebra and have another kind of artificial disc that they pack full of, bone marrow. Yeah. Put it in there where it grows together. They put hardware in bolts, rods, pins, and actually fuse that. Jeez. Those vertebrae together. And it seemed like such an extreme thing for me. And I didn't feel like that was really my route. And sometimes you have to really work and you have to study and you have to, you have to search for things and came Finally found someone, his name was Dr. Adelman, who did a very um, minimally invasive spinal surgery. Most spine surgery, they want to take your back and they want to open it up so they can get in there. So they cut muscle and bone and everything to get in there to remove the cyst. Um, Dr. Adelman would do it orthoscopically, which was kind of a a no-no in the spinal world. But he'd actually go in through the top and then he could have all sorts of room that he could get into what he needed to do. Yeah. He said, we're going to go in orthoscopically. I'll put a camera in one port and another, the scalpel and the everything in the other one. And it was, uh, it was somewhat risky, but um, decided after a year of dealing with this, that that was what I needed to do. And went in same day surgery. He went in and he actually removed the entire cyst, the roots of it, everything, part of my facet joint and I, I walked out and to me, like to him, it was such a simple thing again. But to me, that was a miracle Yeah, going through that whole thing to experience a miracle. So I'd say that miracle, one, miracles can happen. Two, people can change. I shared the story of my daughter. Um, I shared, shared my story. People can change and people do change all the time. Things aren't always going to be bad for you. Those dark clouds that hang over your head, that rain eventually falls and the clouds go away and eventually the sun comes out. It always does. The sun will always come out. So people can change. And three, I would say that if you have doubts, if you have questions, if you're hurting inside, you are exactly where you are supposed to be right now. It, it's it's it couldn't be any better than that because we have to try we have to experience difficult things we have to be able to change and bring your your broken parts your broken wings the songs that are broken that you want to sing bring those to the altar and at god's table there is a place that's set just for you and he wants you to sit at his table Sweet dude,
0: that was amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Well, if there's any last things um,
1: you want to say, we we can you can do it. But last thing, I just say now is your time. Do your plan C. Try your dream, like live your dream. Now is your time to do it. Yeah. So that's amazing, dude. Well,
0: one thing I've learned about being on a mission also during this podcast, is you always end when the Spirit's the highest so that, um, you know, I don't really know the reason, but it's really good to end when the Spirit is the highest. And um, this has been Conversion to Christ podcast. Uh, We're so grateful that we had the opportunity to to have this conversation and gather in in the Lord's name. And um, I really felt the Spirit really strong. I know anyone listening and that you felt it too. We know that if we're gathered here in His
1: name and we can feel it, you can feel it as well. And we're so, I'm so grateful. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm grateful too. And if there were if there were certain parts where you felt the spirit stronger than other times, you probably need to pay attention to that because uh, a thousand different people could hear the same thing, but they might feel the spirit at different parts. Spirit telling you what's true and what you need to do. So pay attention to that when you feel the spirit. Dang,
0: I love the spirit, man. It's so cool. We had a we had real cool. We had an episode where we talked about the spirit, and um, we talked about how like in every church. You can feel the Spirit. And I I want missionaries who listen to these because we have a lot of missionaries who listen to these on Facebook. Just know the Spirit's job is to testify of truth. It's not to only testify of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Muslim church, you can feel the Spirit because there are certain things they may say, for example, do good to others, help other people, right? Lift other people up. If you feel the Spirit testifying you, that is true. That's the Spirit. It's, It's not this like, Mon we like as the Church of Jesus Christ Latter of Saints, we don't have a monopoly on we don't have a monopoly on faith. We don't have a monopoly on truth. We don't have a monopoly on goodness. Really yeah, exactly, right? And I just love so much that you emphasize the spirit's job is to testify of truth because if we knew that, we could be so much more empathetic and relational or being able to relate with others who don't believe the same way because Sometimes I think we think, no, our church has the truth. Our church has, like, how did you feel the spirit in your church? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And
1: it's like, you can't. That's, that's actually yeah. the spirit's job. And, and the other part of that is that all truth can be circumscribed into one great whole. You know? Yes. Dude, 100%.
0: <laughs> okay. Thanks well, for having me on, Jackson. Of course. This has been Convergence to Christ podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. Peace. Bye-bye. We had a short little moment together. What have you done for both of us? Yeah. So, usually on this podcast, we start with...